to Beecher Island. What a blessing it is to have you all here. What a, what a blessing. Ah, it is awesome to be right here, right now. Right here, right now, because it is the Lord's Day. And what a blessing it is to, to be joined up and celebrating Him. And let me just tell you that if you don't know Jesus, this morning I want to tell you about Him. And I pray that you hear Jesus and you know Him before you walk out that door. It's all about Him. That's the reason we gather up right here. is because of Him and what He has done. And I pray that you will know Him today before you leave. That He is the Christ, the Son of God. And that it's in Him that you have life. No other way. It's in Him and only in Him. But what it is, what a blessing it is to be right here praising Him, singing to Him. It is good. Uh, if you're new with us, though, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. And, and uh, I'm going to ask you to stick around after church. Let us get to know you. But I also want to introduce us just a little bit. Tell you about who we are. We are an independent, non-denominational, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church. And I say that every Sunday because I truly believe it. I believe that we strive to be about God's Word. We strive to dig into His Word and not pick and pluck out of it, but read it all. Preach it all. And uh, be of Him. And we fail. <laughs> I fail in it. We're not perfect here at Beach Run. We, yeah, I'm not perfect. The leadership's not perfect. This body is not perfect. But we strive to be like the one who is perfect. And that's Jesus. And so that's who we, we try to imitate as I just talked to the kids about so that's who who we are striving to be like and that's who Beecher Island is uh, in, a, in a nutshell John chapter 18 is where we're headed John chapter 18 and, and um, we are at a point We're walking with Jesus gets pretty intense. We're at a point where as we continue to read on, it, it gets intense. I love where we're at. We have, we have journeyed along the last year and a half in John to get to the point where we transition today. Jesus steps to the trouble. Where Jesus steps and says, I'm ready to take on the cup that my Father has given. I'm ready to, to go through with everything. I've, I've put on the armor. I've prayed. I'm ready to go. But that time was not until now. You know, he didn't engage himself in conflict. But when there was no other way, he stepped to it. I think we can take a lot from that. I think we can look at that as that he doesn't engage us in conflict. But he readies us for it. He readies us for it to take on whatever we will, we will face in this life. 
And in Him, we, we can have an unshakable determination to, to venture through the greatest hardships that can be thrown at us in this world. I know But always remember that it's in Christ. That it's in Him that we journey. It's in Him that we battle. And we'll see as we continue in our study of John that Jesus loves us so much. He, he, he loves us so much that, that He went to the cross for us. And, and we're going to see that in, in that he, he was so determined to go there for you. You see, He wanted to prove that He was the Christ, the Son of God. And that's why John wrote what he wrote. It, it tells us, it, it, John tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. There's one reason why John wrote everything he did. And it's that. And that is good. That is good. If you haven't opened your Bibles, John 18. John 18, let's pray. Father God, I thank You I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we can read it anytime. And, but Lord, I pray this morning that as we read through the first part of chapter 18, that, that we just see You, Jesus, and, and what You are doing. And, and the importance of the words that, that John puts in there for us to read and the details that are laid out. I pray we don't just skip over. And we take it to heart. I thank You so much for Your love that You have for us, Jesus. What a blessing it is. Thank You for going to the cross and dying for us. Thank You for being the God of all and knowing exactly what we need. Thank You for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John 18. I told you to open there and I didn't. We'll get there. Alright. We're just going to... We'll read all of it. But this morning we're just going to read the first 12 verses. The first 12 verses and we're going to get through it all. But, uh, there's so much depth in this very first part. And I want you to hear it. Chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which He and His disciples entered. Also, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Then when he had said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, 
drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheep. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus in Bethlehem. There's some detail in that. <coughs> some details that John puts into this first scripture are pretty easy to read over, though. So what if we dig in a little bit? I mean, if we just we just read this, we can understand that Jesus left the city and he and he walked uh, eastward towards the Mount of Olives. In doing so, he crossed over this brook Kidron, came to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the western slope of the river. But let's dig in a little. The name Kidron is not Greek, it's Hebrew. But what's the significance of this brook? Well, what, why does John put this in? You see, it said that it had its name either from the darkness of the valley. It was in this, it's in this pretty deep valley. Mountains, you know, on both sides. Pretty high mountains. Gardens all around it. Trees everywhere. So it's pretty dark down in this brook. Or was it from the blackness of the water through which the soil had flowed? You know, uh, it's kind of a common sewer also. This, this brook was a common sewer for the Jews that cast everything into it. Uh, the, everything that was unclean and defiled. We can read about that in, in 2 Chronicles 29.16, but also 30.14. We won't do that this morning, but you can always go there and read that. But also, I want you to know that there was a canal that led to this brook. That, that was in the that was at the altar in the temple and all of the blood and the soil of the sacrifices drained into this brook. Let me stop and think of it. Why did John mention this brook here? You see, this brook was not very big. It was about three foot across. In the summertime, it would actually dry up to almost maybe a foot across, and you could easily step across it. But also, we read of a garden here. In which Christ immediately went, right? Once he passed over this brook Kidron, which I want to remind you that John is the only one that mentions this brook Kidron in all of the New Testament. It is the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament. But if you go to the Old Testament, it's mentioned over and over again. But why would John put this detail into this part right here? Is it just because he wanted to? I don't think so. So think about this brook with all the blood, the filth, the soil of it, so much so that it discolored the water that flowed through it. 
And Jesus crossed over it to go into the garden. Let me take that as it was an emblem of this world. The darkness, the filthiness of it, through which Christ Himself went. Drinking of the brook in the way, as it tells us in Psalms 110, verse 7. And also through which all of His disciples and followers walked through. It may also be a, a figure of the dark valley of the shadow of death through which Christ and all of His members pass through for heavenly glory. Maybe it's all the trials and troubles that we will go through that are in our direct path to heavenly glory. The heavenly paradise in which we know lies ahead. I can also see why this black and unclean brook may be a representation of the pollution and the, the defilement of sin which was laid on Christ when He passed over. So much so that, that I think in heavenly form it made Him bogged down. So much so that He desired that the cup might pass from Him. That the Father may take the cup from Him. But let's also observe that it was the brook that David passed over. It was the, the brook that David passed over when he fled from his son Absalom. In this, David was a type of Christ, if you will. Like he represented other times. And Absalom represented the people of the Jews who rejected the Messiah. And rebelled against him. Annabelle, Judas, who betrayed him. And the people that, that went with David over him but also His disciples, the Lord's disciples, crossed over this brook. Only there was a difference here. There was a difference between Christ crossing over and David. You see, with David, he was fleeing from his son, but here Jesus is going to His Father's wrath. David and his people wept when they went over this brook, is what it tells us. So did Christ and His disciples. It was just a little bit later on in the garden. You see this black brook and dark valley which was passed over very late at night. I think all add to this dark dispensation. The, the, the hour of darkness which now came upon our Lord. Yet He crossed over on His own accord. He chose to walk over willingly and cheerfully, not being forced or compelled by any, and His disciples with Him. Not, not to uh, be partners in His suffering, but be witnesses. To be witnesses of what Jesus is going to go through. You see, I really think that John wrote this detail of the Brook Kidron for a reason. Do I fully understand it yet? No. I don't. So many things to look at that this brook could represent and why John put the detail in there, but I know that it's a detail that we should not just overlook so easily. 
And then Jesus enters the garden. I think that there is a, a great reminder that when we, or when he was in Jerusalem, this is this is where he would go. The scripture even tells us that this this is where he would go. He'd go to the garden of Gethsemane to pray often. It's no wonder that Judas would have known that he was there. Jesus went there to pray, to, to, to get away. But I find it interesting that this is where he's arrested. You know, I've really never put much thought to it. That's just where he went. That's just where Judas would know that he walked. But what if Jesus would have went to the city? Well, what if the people would? What, what if this group of troops, not this small group, large group, we'll talk about that in a minute, but what if they would have arrested him in the city? Would it have been an uproar? But of all these people that were around there had an uprising and, and, and it wouldn't have went the way it's supposed to go? I think there's something that's detailed that Jesus withdrew to the garden where he knew that nobody would be except him and his disciples. Well, we know that he knew that everybody would be there, right? This army would be there. He knew that. He knew what was to come. But there wouldn't be the masses. There wouldn't be the masses as he went there. You know, when we find ourselves involved in trouble, we should look to Jesus in this situation. Not involve the masses that are around us. Truly, it's no disgrace that as followers of Jesus that we come down peacefully. That's what He did. Right? To, to withdraw to a private setting because those that seek man's approval will gather people. Right? That they will gather their own troops. They will seek honor from man. Justification from man. But those that know that they are precious in Christ, they will not need to stand with man. They will stand with Christ. Christ showed us how to withdraw from the world, yet still be in the world. We must lay aside, leave behind the crowds, the cares, the, the, the cities, even the holy cities as Christ did. Christ showed us how to withdraw. See, Jesus shows us in the detail. He shows us in the details even before He gets to the cross. When we get to verse 3, though, I'm just amazed at what we read. Verse 3 says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. I first want us to realize that this detachment of, of troops could have been anywhere from 200 to 1,000 men. 200 to 1,000 men coming to arrest Jesus, plus the officers. Plus the officers. But this detachment of troops were, were more than likely they were Roman soldiers. Whereas the officers were Jewish officials representing the chief priests and the Pharisees. And I want you to know that they hated each other. They hated each other with a passion. They didn't get along to do anything together. But yet they unite to arrest and crucify the Christ. And they brought lanterns and torches and weapons. 
I read this this week and didn't have an author to who wrote it, but I thought, <laughs> that's pretty good. And it said this. They came to seek the light of the world with lanterns. Yeah, I kind of laughed at that. They came to seek the light of the world with lanterns. Now we know it was dark, but my... <laughs> yeah, verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon Him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am He. And Judas, who betrayed Him, also stood with them. Now when He said to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. It says Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, knowing all things that would come upon Him went forward. He knew it was in front of him. He knew what lay ahead. He, he knew what, was going, that he, what he was going to go through. And he knew that it was going to be difficult. But yet he still stepped forward. He still stepped forward. By no means am I saying that we should go seeking uh, what lays ahead for us. What trials we're going to face. But in all honesty, it would be good for us to understand and to expect suffering. There is absolutely no promise in this life that it will be easy and free of trouble. Free of trials when we come to Christ. Actually, it's probably the opposite. It tells us the opposite. But in Christ, we can have joy when we go through every one of those trials. We can have joy when we go through every one of those trials. But more important than that, we can see that Christ stepped to the suffering. He stepped forward to it. You know, when people when people would have forced him to the crown, the worldly crown, he ran from it. He didn't want any worldly glory in all that he did. Yet when they come to put him on a cross, he stepped forward. When they came to make him suffer, and whip him, and beat him, and spit on him, he stepped forward. Church, it doesn't mean that we should go looking for trouble by any means. But when there's no way around it, we need to step to it. When there's no way around it but sin, we need to step to it. Don't fall to the sin, but step to the struggle, the suffering, the whatever it may be in Christ. You know, uh, I don't know how to read this other than this. That when Jesus did that, though, he stuck to it, calm, cool, and collected. He he wasn't sticking his chest out. He wasn't looking for a fight. He he wasn't trying to argue with him. He wasn't trying to justify himself. He wasn't trying to do anything besides be calm, cool, and collected when he stepped up to him and said, "Who are you looking for?" Who do you want? And now I know that our... 
I read it when I read it to you. My book says, I am He. My Bible says, I am He. And my guess is your Bible says, I am He too. See, in the translation, it should be, I am. But our English language wants to change it to, I am He. So it's a complete sentence. It's a, it's a proper statement. Let me just tell you that the proper statement is, I am. Not only is it a proper statement, but it is a powerful statement. When he said, I am what they do, they fell to the ground. When he said, I am, they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. They fell to the ground. Verse 5, though, tells us that Judas stood with him. He that used to stand with those that followed Christ now stands with those who fought against Him. Sorry for me to wrap my mind around this. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it, but yet it happens today. Right? People step away from Christ and they, and they don't say they're stepping to evil, but if you step away from Christ, you're stepping to evil. thought when Jesus said, I am. And everybody fell down. I want you to think about this. We talked a little bit earlier. Anywhere from 200 to 1,000 men. Plus the officers. So let's just call it 500. Okay? 500 men with lanterns and torches and weapons. All standing there. And Judas is in the front. Can you picture him standing up there? Can you picture him standing up there? And, and, and Jesus says, who you looking for? Jesus says, I am. Can you picture this? And what Judas thought. And, and, and I don't know if Judas fell down too. But if he fell down, what do you think he thought? Microburst. No. <laughs> No. What if Judas didn't fall down? But 500 men around him did. Because of the power of the statement, I am. What went across his mind? I don't know. I don't know. But what a thought. Then Jesus asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost. No. For the second time, Jesus was asked, and the answer was the same, I am. They did not realize that He was their Creator and their Sustainer. The best friend they ever had. The best friend they ever had. And He said, I am. I am. He not, meant not only that He was the Jesus of Nazareth, but also the Jehovah. He is the Messiah, the Christ. And in His unselfish interest for others, He said, I am. But you know what? Let my disciples go on their way. 
so the saying might be fulfilled of which he spoke of those whom you gave me I lost. Church, there's so much to learn about Jesus and who He is and who He was. So much to learn in the details and so much to learn today. So much to learn from the details that we have the privilege of reading in His words. And I pray that we don't skip over the details of what we have right in front of us. I pray that you will come back next week as we dig into Peter pulling out a sword and cutting off an ear. Because there's a lot of details of Peter pulling a sword and cutting off an ear. When at best, his odds were 200 to 4. 200 to 4, and he pulls out his old rusty sword and cuts off an ear. How much trust did he have in his God? Or how dumb was he? I'm not real sure. Today, church, though, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that Jesus knew what He was headed for. He knew what laid ahead, and yet He still stepped forward to it. He still stepped forward even though He knew what suffering was going to take place. I want you to know that there is no fear in Christ. There is no fear in Christ no matter what you face today. No matter what trial you're going through, no matter what struggle you are in right now, in Christ you can do it with no fear. You can step to it and say, God, whatever your will, I'm with you. And know that He'll carry you through the battle. Know that He'll carry you through whatever suffering you face. Because you see, in Christ, you will not be lost. In Christ, you will not be lost. In Him, you, He will not lose you. Period. My question is for you this morning, are you in Him? Are you in Him? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord? Because if you have, He is in you. Period. If you believe in your heart that God raised... If you speak with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, it says you will be saved. And in that, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you will walk in Him and you will not be lost and you will have eternity in Him. That's forever. And ever. And ever. That is good. I don't want one person here this morning to not know Christ and what He says He is and what He offers to you. You see, in Him, all you have is a choice. Judas had a choice. He could either walk of evil or he could walk of Christ. He chose evil. You have the same choice. You can walk of Christ or you can walk of evil. And I want you to encourage you today to find Christ and walk in Him. Walk in Him and you will not be lost. You will have heaven. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up, but I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus today? And if you don't, let's talk. Let's talk. There are troubles and struggles of this world. And when you walk in Christ, they're intensified. 
It doesn't matter how hard we try to not <clears throat> have difficulty in life. We have. But we don't need to focus on the difficulty. We don't need to focus on the struggle. We don't need to focus on the beating we're taking. Because we can focus on Christ. And know that He's walking with us and know that He's walking us through so again, no matter what you face, Christ is with you. And if you're facing something today that's so overwhelming that you're weighted down, we want to pray with you. We want to lift you up. That's what we're called to do in Christ. So today, if you need prayers, please come pray with me. Come pray with one of the elders come up here, I'll pray with you. If you head to the back, I know an elder will meet you. No. No. Whatever you need. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that Jesus, you you knew what was going to happen. You knew what laid ahead for you. You knew the beatings, the striking across your head, the, the crown of thorns that would be mashed on your head and blood run from you. You knew. You knew that you would be beat so bad that you couldn't even carry your own cross. You knew that you would hang on a cross and be crucified. But yet you still stepped to it. You, you stepped forward and said, I am. I am. I am. I pray we step to you, Jesus in everything we do and we know that you are the I am. God, we need you. We need you every hour. We need you in our struggles. We need you in our highs. We need you. I pray that we never forget that. I pray that we deny our flesh and pick up a cross and follow you daily. And it be about you and not us. God, I thank You so much for dying for us. Thank You, Jesus, for, for raising from the grave so that we can be forgiven. And, and You tell us it's in You that we have life. It's by believing in You. Thank You. And I pray that everybody here this morning knows that. That it's in You that they may have life. Thank You, thank You. Thank You for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You would stand and sing with us. If you need prayers, please come forward.